When the thinking mind is quiet for just a brief time, that's when we feel joy. Think of one moment in your life when you felt deeply peaceful. Zoom all the way in to that very short period of time where you really felt that peace. And the, the only question that you need to ask yourself is, during that tiny moment in my life, how much thinking was I doing? And the answer for most people is none. If it's the thinking mind that's causing most of my problems in my life, then I just need to learn how to stop that. And most people assume that they can just stop their minds. Unfortunately, we can't stop our minds by trying hard to stop our minds. Nothing around mindfulness is ever about beating your mind into submission. It's about working with, not against. The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. I don't know about your thoughts on mindfulness, but our guest today is talking about how mindfulness in your career is BS. Steve Ware is a mindfulness expert, like the real kind. And what he's going to share with us is, is not only worth being mindful around, but this episode is specifically designed for those who are in their job search and want to be more productive, clearer in their thinking, and also drive without burnout. So those two things do not need to go together. You do not need to grind or drive so hard that by the time you get to the interviews, you're like sawdust. That, that would suck. And that's also one of the things that I see all the time. People burn out from over-applying. And so we have a, an amazing guest today, and I have been following Steve's content for years, like literally. Like, and he makes me laugh, and he's goofy, and no better person to talk about something so serious than somebody who has a great sense of humor. So welcome, Steve. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. So I want you to walk us back. Because like I said, you know, you're, you're kind of like a cheeky, goofy guy, right? And you're also a guy that like, how many years did you spend at, at IBM? I mean, IBM to me is like the suit of all suits. So bring us through how this happened to you, this cheeky cynic, and how it yeah. is that you stumbled across mindfulness. Okay. So I'll give you I'll give you a slightly abridged version because it's a long story spanning a lot of years. <clears throat> but yeah, I joined IBM when I was a kid, Lauren. I was literally like eighteen back in nineteen ninety two. So I joined straight from um what we call A levels in England, which is like the second lot of exams you do before you go to university. And um I joined IBM and, and it was good, it was great, a lot of great fun times. And 
the kind of relevant bit, I guess, happened probably um, it's probably about thirteen years ago now. So after I've been at IBM for a good twenty years, um, yeah, long, long time, <clears throat> and I start and I started burning out. And, and what did that me, look like? Like, like, describe for us what burnout looks like, feels like, smells like. Because here's the thing: we use that in such a vernacular way. Oh, I'm so yeah. burned out. Yeah. That there's like a spectrum, right? And right. so for you, what did that, what was that experience? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that because people misuse a lot of words, right? People, people are a bit sad and they say they're depressed. People, people have a cold and they say they got the flu. And then only when you really experience the real deal, you know, the the flu, then you stop misusing the word flu when, when you're just kind of a little bit under the weather. And same for me in burnout. So burnout isn't, isn't to me, it's not even a tough week or a tough couple of weeks or feeling a bit tired or it's, it's being so anxious. You don't really know what to do with yourself. It's having mm. no way of switching your mind off. It's, it's, it's going from sleeping like a baby to dreading going, getting into your bed because you know your mind's just going to race and you're going to be anxious and there's nothing you can do about it and it's going to it's like torture so, so even some of the things that you used to love doing become painful and hard so to me it was very high anxiety i was on a constant state of alert constant state of alert um that gets you down after a bit i wouldn't say i was clinically depressed but i was certainly low because i think anyone who's experienced anxiety for a prolonged period of time it drags you down and sleep deprivation drags you down. So it lowers your mood too. Um, and you're not yourself. You're kind of snapping at people. You're, mm. you know, you're not, you don't find things funny anymore. It's, um, it's not is a nice burnout, spot to be. Is this on the rise or is it on the decline? Are people like with all the meditation apps, all the stuff that we have that, that it seemingly is at our fingertips yeah. is burnout more more kind of um prevalent is it is it happening at, at earlier stages like tell us from like your perspective somebody that really really understands this epidemic what is happening i mean i i think we can trace some of it back to the impact of the digital revolution mm-hmm. so i'm old enough to remember i remember being in, in an ibm office once and a guy burst in must have been i forget the exact date but mid mid 90s and he said guys there's this thing called the internet and everyone was like what are you talking about he's like oh it's, you know this it was in its infancy then and it's connected and you'd be able to do this and be able to do that and we're like get out of here that, that's not gonna be used by anybody whatever but and we had a big library downstairs and in, in the ground floor of ibm there's this huge library when you go and look things up and you do it old school and that for me was the start of this incredible digital revolution, which has been so amazing. What we've all got our cell phones, our smartphones that can do anything and everything and guide us wherever we want to go on the planet. And we can take calls, we can do emails and we can communicate with people all over the place. But that kind of comes at a cost because ultimately we've still got pretty much a stone age mind. Our brains and bodies haven't developed at the same pace our technology has. And yet mm. we're now inundated. So we're bombarded. You can find these stats like, you can find whatever stats you want on the internet, but um, I think everyone would agree. Most people would agree that uh, we're doing more thinking as a species than we ever have before. And this is going to be the crux of probably what we're going to talk about today. 
So the problem for most people is an excessive amount of thinking. And and fundamentally, the biggest problem for people is that they they have a mind that uses them rather than something that they use. So the mm. mind isn't, cool, isn't a helpful, brilliant tool that they can pick up and use and then kind of put down. It becomes the master. It thinks when it wants to think. So if it wants to wake up at two o'clock in the morning, keep you awake the whole night, it just does it. And so we kind of get swept away by this um, this this kind of noise making machine in our head, which is a phenomenal and brilliant tool. But if it's jammed in the on position and it's constantly stimulating us, and just even if it's not anything particular, if it's just kind of repetitive, useless thinking, which by the way they think up to ninety percent of most people's thinking is these days. I mean, anyone listening to this, watching this, check it. Just kind of see what's true for you. So they reckon most people think between sixty to 80,000 thoughts a day, I think it is. So, you know, work out what that is an hour based on how many hours you sleep every every night. It can be X thousand thoughts an hour, right? Um, but the, the, the real kicker here is that most of those thoughts, up to nine out of ten of them, is for a lot of repetition and a lot of it's useless. We're not coming up with brilliant innovative ideas every every five minutes, are we? We're not, we're not having these incredible eureka moments it's churning it's garbage it's labeling stuff i like that i don't like that have you done that what you should need to be worrying about this steve you haven't got everything together what about that next week and oh god you made a mistake on that why you do that you're such an idiot it's just kind of non-stop yak 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 and i'm sure we'll get into it later but the most beautiful moments in our lives are actually when that noise ceases so i want to bring you back because i I just want to understand, like, like, how did you get to mindfulness? How did you yeah, piece sorry, that went, together? Right? How did you figure out, like, here I am, like, I'm not on a winning streak, right? I'm not feeling yeah. it. And how did you go from that to really re- resorting to mindfulness? Yeah, thank you for bringing me back. I get excited about this and I go off all no. sorts of questions. So thanks for reeling me back in. Absolutely. <clears throat> So, yeah, so I'm at IBM and I'm burned out pretty much, right? <clears throat> and I was looking for something, Lauren. I needed, I knew I needed something to – I was just – I was desperate to feel that peace. You know that peace when you're a kid and, and, you know, your biggest problem is what time you have to stop playing outside and come in or, you know, you can just go and lie in a field and look up at the sky. and The way of the world's not on you. And I yearned for that. I, I, I was kind of existing rather than living at this point. But I didn't really know what. I didn't know what was going to help me. I kind of didn't want medication. I didn't really want um, that. But I had no way of um, of fixing myself. I didn't. I did. I was very. And somebody at IBM said to me, um, "Why don't you try mindfulness? I've read some science about it. It looks incredible." And I told them in some pretty industrial language where they could put their mindfulness books and their apps and everything else related to mindfulness. It sounded like, like I want to hear the real thing. What did you tell them? Um, Shove it up your butt. You were allowed to swear on here, are we? Yes, of course. I said, I'm not fucking doing that. That's, that's <laughs> bullshit. Come on, man. That's like, that's just such bollocks. It just sounded like, you know, I meditated to me. It's very hard to shift these ingrained thoughts because even now a meditator to me sounds boring it sounds like not me it sounds like not people i want to be around it sounds like people who are checking out and just kind of go off in this artificial airy fairy space 
where everything's kind of good and all hugging each other and hugging trees and and it, so it had no place in my life. I'm, I'm at IBM. I've got to get shit done, and and I've got clients that need stuff to be done, and and I can't just be over there like, oh, because you know that's not going to fix the project. That's not going to get everything done, right? So I had, right. but here's what here's what was funny about it. I had, I had loads of different thoughts in my head, totally contradictory, right? Totally contradictory. This thing, this thing in my head called called my mind, that this brain that that comes up with these thoughts. Who knows where they come from? But but it's so interesting. When you start to observe your mind, even back then, I started to observe it. And I thought, on one side, I had my brain saying, it doesn't work. It's bullshit. It's navel gazing. It's a load of crap. It's not for you. You're a tough guy. You're meant to you know, deal with it properly. On the other hand, I also had a load of other thoughts that were also saying, hmm, maybe it does work. But here's the danger. If you get too good at this stuff, you're just going to end up this passive meditative blob. Right, and they'll say, "Well, don't give Steve any work anymore because he doesn't do anything now. He just sits there zenning out." So, isn't that interesting? The same brain's telling me, "Don't do it because it doesn't work. Don't do it because it does work, and it's going to make you lose your job." And so, so that every- mind tug of war—that's a painful place to be because yeah. what you described was almost a level of desperation, which sometimes I think is a good place to be because when you're that far down, I've been there myself the willingness factor increases, right? You oh, get to yeah. the place where you're like, oh my God, I just got to do something. Absolutely. Motivated. Motivated like nothing. Totally. Rock bottom is a, is a beautiful, is a, is a beautiful ride up. Yeah. So there was probably 1% of my brain, Lauren, that thought <laughs> maybe there's something in this. Maybe it's been around for two and a half thousand years for a reason. Maybe the science was starting to get good then. So I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking probably th- 13 years ago the science was kind of in its infancy but it was getting a lot stronger great people and people in the u.s john kabat-zinn you know done incredible things in in the medical world and and beyond um <clears throat> google were just kind of starting to pick this up um a little bit later actually maybe 2008 but it was enough there was enough science to convince my very skeptical brain at that point to at least take a look at it right so I didn't tell anyone so to close this long story um i thought right i'm going to do it but here's the deal i'm going to do it in secret because i'm too tough i'm too macho i'm i'm going to burst into the bars in portsmouth and go hey guys who fancies me let's join a meditation club let's all do this meditation so i thought i'm going to try it in secret i'm not going to tell anybody didn't even tell um didn't tell my close friends certainly didn't tell my colleagues hell no but I downloaded an app called Headspace. Most people have probably heard of Headspace. Yeah? It's one of many um, nice apps. And I just did it for 10 days. And here's the thing. The end of that story isn't my life's been unicorns and rainbows ever since, Lauren. And I did 10 minutes a day. My, my All my problems vanished in a, in a beautiful puff of smoke. And I never got stressed ever again. But what did happen is there were tiny, tiny noticeable moments if I looked really closely. I was a little bit less anxious. I was a little bit less reactive. I was a little bit less angry. And I thought, holy shit, if this is if this is real, if I'm not kidding myself here, hairs on the back of my neck stood up, still stand up when I talk about it, because I thought this, I just found the gym for my mind. Like we, we all know the gym mm. and exercise is great for our bodies, right? Man, did I just find the equivalent for my mind? Jesus, I need to explore this. So Still didn't tell anybody, but I started devouring everything. I started looking up the greatest teachers. I started looking up what Google were doing. A guy called Chad Mentang and 
they were they were bringing people like Eckhart Tolle and John Kabat-Zinn in to talk in, in there. I was thinking, is this got a place in business? But before I even thought that, I was thinking, I need to help me. I just want to help me. Screw everybody else. I need to help. So I started devouring all this stuff. And then it got interesting because somebody, well, quite a few people at work started saying to me after a month or so, uh, what are you doing? You're doing something different. You're calmer. You just really, so yeah, somebody they noticed. outside actually experienced that difference. Yeah, they, they noticed. experienced you in a different way. Yeah, which was huge. Huge. That is huge. So I said, um, I told them what I was doing. I said, I'm, I'm doing this whole mindfulness meditation thing. And they, they begged me to teach them. They said, mm-hmm. we're as stressed as you are. We're as sleep deprived as you are. We're as anxious as you are. Please, will you teach us? Mm. And so, this yeah. is this is the perfect segue because here we have more executives who are dealing with a soft marketplace. Their anxiety—I'm not going to say they're burnt out. I don't even know where they are in this spectrum, but I know that their anxiety is already at a base level of of height. Yeah, because they're on the market, right? And Going through that can be really vulnerable, frightening, um, exposing on so many levels. And I'm going to say they're mostly stressed. Nobody's like sitting back on, yeah, this is the best time I've ever had. And so what I want to understand is for those, for that audience, right? Where can mindfulness be a point of entry and what can happen in that process as a result of even a short meditation, something? Because I, I, I know that this is not the first thing on everybody's mind, right? This is not like, oh, let me wake up and meditate and then I'll perform better and I'll be a better yeah, networker. Yeah. No, no, so, one's thinking that. no one's thinking that. No business is thinking that. No, no business really wants meditation. Everybody wants the outcomes of meditation. Right. Right. That the sleeping better, the lower anxiety, the lower, the lower blood pressure, the, the feeling better, the higher performance, the happiness, the, everything that comes with it. We all want that. It's a no brainer. Right? It's a rhetorical question. You wouldn't ask anyone, do you want those things? Of course you want those things. Um, we just don't want to do the meditation part, the mindfulness part. So I have to find some way of, of making that so engaging, so secular, so mainstream, so normal that people try it for long enough and then go, Jesus Christ, it works. And now I'm motivated. Now, now I will do it. Now I will um, practice it because I, I can feel it. I don't believe it. I hate it when people say, I believe in mindfulness. Not about yeah, believing. I want to know. How do you do it? So, so, so to finish the story, so, so they, said to, they said to me, they begged me, can you teach us? And I said no at that moment because I realized I knew enough about mindfulness even back then. You don't do this on a on the back of a cigarette packet, right? You don't you don't just study this for a couple of weeks and then start teaching people. There was a depth to it that I appreciated very quickly. But it planted a seed in my head. And I remember coming home from work one day and just opening the laptop and typing in, where's the best place to learn how to teach mindfulness in business? In mm. the workplace? In England. I thought I'll go anywhere in England to learn this. Uh University of Oxford came up, obviously a very um well-established, brilliant university. And um, I would take days off IBM. I would catch the train from where I live in Portsmouth, and it's about two and a half hours. I'd go up to Oxford, and I would sit, and I would learn from some of the greatest meditation teachers. Mm. 
and I would, I would, I had such huge imposter syndrome there, Lauren. I mean, I'm there in these incredible. People have seen some of the Harry Potter films. They filmed some of that in, you know, Oxford's an incredible, beautiful city. The university buildings are amazing, and the people that teach there, and and you know, it's it's very for someone like me. I'm just a little guy at IBM, so I had huge imposter syndrome. I was kind of there, looking around, thinking, "What am I even doing here?" You know, I've read your book and you've written 50 white papers and like you're a world-renowned this and then there's me sitting in there. And but they took me under their wing pretty quickly because I was what I was trying to do was was relatively new there. And it was it was can we bring this thing that had been very well established in the health sector? So our mm-hmm. national health service were using mindfulness, John the work John Cabotson's done in the US. Um and they were using it so it's very strong academically and very strong um clinically. Could we pick it up and put it in business? Big, big test because people in business, they're not going to not gonna buy into it. The two main no, that's yeah. the name of this episode, right? Yeah. It's BS. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that, is, that thinking is, is, is the go-to, right? We yeah. think the way you, all, you thought when you started. I'm a tough guy. I can handle this. You know, yeah. I can, you know, this is like airy-fairy like yeah. crap, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess one of the ways I overcome that is, um, and we could do it right now, actually, I, I would say to people, so one thing I dislike, I dislike the word meditation. I mm-hmm. dislike the word mindfulness. I know it's the translation that's stuck. But the reason I dislike those words is because they, they conjure up for most people. Most people have an opinion on what those, both those things are. And, and like I did, there's a very ill-informed, um, uneducated opinion, but it was quite a strong opinion, right? So I say, let's forget all this. Let's forget the clever words. Let's forget the science. Let's forget all that stuff. I would say to people, anybody listening to this, I would say, let's let's bring it down to the most simple level, right? Think of one moment in your life, anybody listening to this, one moment in your life where you either felt deeply peaceful. Mm. So just for a second, you know, sometimes you have those moments where just for a second, it's like, oh, wow. And you kind of say, wow, after it, because you feel it. The weight of the world lifts from your shoulders. Everything's mm-hmm. okay for half a second. And then maybe half a second later, the brain comes in and goes, hang on, you need to be worrying. I know, I know you had half a second off there, but you need to be worrying about your job. You need to be worrying about your finances. You need to be worrying about your health. You need to be worrying about your parents. You need to be worrying about your dog. You need to worry. And it comes back in, right? So life zooms back in. But if everybody listening to this thinks of one moment, so either when you felt deeply peaceful, maybe you were still, Maybe you felt intensely alive and peaceful at the same time, but maybe you were very active. If you're doing a sport, maybe you were racing a car or a bike or skiing or climbing climbing a mountain or rock or whatever. Or maybe it's a time where you really noticed beauty in something. Maybe you noticed a beautiful sunrise, sunset. Maybe you got a dog and your dog comes over and you meet eyes and the tail wags. And for a couple of seconds, you feel, ah. Oh, how beautiful is that? So if everybody's got one or more examples of this, the thing to do is to zoom all the way in really closely to that very sh- probably short period of time where you really felt that peace, where you really noticed that beauty, where you really felt that intense aliveness, that joy. And the, the only question you need to ask yourself is, during that tiny moment in my life, how much thinking was I doing? Mm. And the answer for most people is none. 
And that's a radical realization. It doesn't sound like anything, but this is, this is a radical thing to understand. Why? Because what we're saying here is that the best moments of our lives probably coincide with a gap in the otherwise incessant stream of thinking. So when the thinking mind shuts the hell up for a second, that's when we feel peaceful. When the thinking mind is quiet for just a brief time, that's when we feel joy. That's when we laugh. That's when we notice, really notice beauty. That's when we feel connected. That's when we feel at ease. So now we've got, another, now we got a, a question to ask, Lawrence. If, if that's a true statement for everybody listening, hopefully it is, and if it isn't, message me and we'll talk about it. So then we go to, okay, well, that sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? I just need to quiet my mind more and life's going to be amazing. So I just need to stop myself thinking, right? If it's the thinking mind that's causing most of my problems in my life, then I just need to learn how to, just need to stop that. And most people assume that they can just stop their minds or just knowing the fact that, that they need to stop their mind is enough. And of course we can't do that. So I'd say to most people, um, and we can do it now. Let's do it maybe just for 10 seconds because a lot of silence probably isn't going to be great on a podcast. But I'd say to people now, I want everybody listening here, I want you to stop your mind thinking completely. You're not allowed one thought, okay? Not allowed one thought about anything we've said. Not allowed to think about what you're going to do tonight, what you did earlier, how good your bad your weekend was, where you're going on vacation next. I don't even want you to think, this must be 10 seconds by now. Come on. <laughs> and I And I don't want you to think, do you know what? I'm not thinking because that's another thought as well. So not allowed to hold your breath. That's the only rules, right? So let's just do it. Let's just play with a bit of fun. Stop thinking now. So that was 10 seconds. Now, if we'd gone 20 seconds, probably most people, if they've, if they've never done anything like this before most people will be having one or many thoughts the mind will just kind of come in um and so what does that tell us that tell us that tells us the second big thing you can take from this podcast right the first thing is to notice how the most of the beautiful moments in your life when your mind is still how incredible is that number two notice that unfortunately we can't stop our minds by trying hard to stop our minds it'd be like me okay. saying to you so you rang me up, Lauren, and said, oh, Steve, I'm having, I'm having terrible trouble sleeping. It's 3 a.m. here. I still can't sleep. And I said, Lauren, just try harder. Come on. Right. Put some effort in here. If I, was, if I was able to do it, I wouldn't be calling you, right? Right. Exactly. Everyone's thought of that, right? So the, the, the mind is an incredibly skillful opponent if you challenge it and if you take it on. So nothing, nothing around mindfulness is ever about beating your mind into submission, about suppressing thought, about resisting thought. It's about working with, not against. But point two to take from this podcast, when you try and still your mind by bullying it into submission, it fights you back pretty hard. And is that one winner? I like what you said about it being a fierce opponent. And one of the other things that I heard you say in, in some of the other podcasts that I listened to is how much courage it takes to be alone yeah. with those thoughts. So I want to talk about that because. In the earlier part of this podcast, you talked about how active, how loud our head is. Then it got louder with the internet. Then it got louder with gosh, only knows what. And yeah. so now 
to be able to sit and be alone with your thoughts, whether it's, you know, in the exercise that we just did. Why, why do people fight that courage when they want the outcome so badly? I think because the mind is probably the most brilliant, I was going to say torture instrument on this planet. Like it, your mind can beat you up like nobody else. Your mind can take you to some pretty horrible places if it wants to and scare the hell out of you and make you very low and very anxious or very happy or very peaceful. And so the thoughts that we have, um, we take them personally. We identify with them. We think they're us. That's a fundamental mm. mistake. This is what we learn when we practice this stuff, right? Every thought you've ever had has come and gone up to this point, true? Every emotion you've ever had in your life has come mm. and gone up to this point. So you cannot be those things. Mm. There must be something that's able to witness that. If there's something, if something transient that comes and goes, then there must be a, a witnessing presence, if you like, an observer that, that can see that. Now, often that, often that observer is, isn't kind of isn't palette isn't tangible to us we're kind of lost in the thought we're gripped in the strong emotion there's no separation between us and the emotion us and the thought but when we create this gap which is what you can create when you practice this stuff there's liberation in there wow because that's a, that's like the difference between standing out in a storm and getting very very wet and, and sitting in the house watching a storm mm. that tiny bit of perspective is everything right the storm's still happening I'm in the house watching it now. Okay, there it goes. Rather than just out there in it, I can't hear or see anything else. I'm just completely consumed by it. This is beautiful. And the way that you bring it to life, and I, I know, I mean, at this point, about how many people have you been teaching throughout your years at IBM? This is this body of, of, of work and knowledge is is tremendous but what i really really like about you and the way that you approach it is that you insist on having fun with it otherwise you're barred from any of your future courses isn't that true yeah you've got to one of the biggest compliments people i've heard over the years the answer to the first answer to your first question is thousands i mean i was teaching thousand people at ibm i used to run some i started something called the mindfulness summit ibm um, I think back in 2016, 2017, maybe. You did a couple just, of them, right? Yeah, I did a few. Yeah, I, I, I just had this idea. There were there were pockets of us all around the globe that were practicing mindfulness. I thought, let's bring everybody together. Let's get some external speakers in. And we had some great turnouts. I mean, we'd get a thousand people kind of a day live at those sessions. So even when I was at IBM, I was I was kind of reaching thousands of people, which was a really beautiful thing. And obviously, since IBM, I've had the real pleasure of working with loads of other companies and loads of other industries. Um, and leaders as well. Maybe we'll talk about that in in future time. But um, that was the first question you asked me, wasn't it? Was how many people? How was, many people, and how do you make it fun? How do you fun. make this so that it doesn't feel like what you described? Right? Like I got to like yeah. eat my brain into submission, and I've got to like sit still. And yeah, I can't great scratch question. My head. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like that, so, that's, I think, a big resistor, right? Yeah. Like, it's going to be boring. <laughs> right. So first thing is to have no elephant in the room ever. If you think mindfulness mm. is boring, tell me. If you think mindfulness is bullshit, tell me. If you're in week two of the course, you still think it's bullshit, tell me. Brilliant. Let's talk about it. I'm, I'm very open to it. And one thing is to just realize that we can't 
expect mindfulness to suddenly jump up your list your kind of to-do list right i I think of people having a a should list like i should do this i should get to the gym more i should work less i should get more sleep i should eat healthier i should i should i should i should should. people can probably list five or six of them mindfulness isn't going to jump to number one just because you suddenly read a scientific paper that said this can be amazing and you've read someone else's review that said it changed your life it's just not so let's be let's let's meet that face on and let's say Okay, so we're not going to expect it to do that. So can we find ways of introducing mindfulness into our lives, not by doing different things, but by doing things differently? Because mm. then people can get on board with that. So when people, if we go back to 10, 10 minutes ago when I said, think of some of the most beautiful moments in your life, if somebody said, I don't know, whenever I go and play basketball, I always just feel calm. When I'm on the court, that's it. You know, the, the the distractions go, I'm not really thinking, I'm just in the in the zone, I'm in the flow is what they describe as an athlete, right? And they say, Well, that's beautiful. And I say, okay, well that's you're you're kind you're practicing mindfulness when you're playing basketball. Now can we drop some more moments like that into your day? Can we can we interrupt your thinking mind and just invite it to be still when you're taking a shower, when you're drinking your coffee, when you're commuting to work, when you're putting the garbage out, it doesn't even need to be anything exciting. And when people realize that they can do that and I show them ways of doing that, then it doesn't become this onerous chore. They've got to sit and do an hour of sitting still and their mind just goes crazy and they feel like they're getting nowhere. But they start to interrupt their day. They start to drop some kind of mindfulness confetti throughout their day. And what they're doing is just leaving little moments of stillness. Okay, so when I'm in the shower, I'm actually, when I'm washing my hair for three seconds, I smell the shampoo. I can feel the warm water. Oh, beautiful. Three seconds of stillness, that's all. And then I get out and carry on thinking. When I'm walking up the stairs, can every now and then for two seconds, I actually feel my feet touching each step. Maybe I could feel the hand out of the cool or the warmth. When I'm outside walking the dark, can I feel the sun on my skin? Can I hear the crunch of the snow? Can I hear the birds singing? Can I have some of my attention or all of my attention in my senses? Because guess what? When your attention is in your senses, your thinking mind starts to quiet. So people mm. want to learn that there are many ways, and some of them are doing it already. So we just try and piggyback that. For me, it's about finding what resonates with people. You know, if I found out you're a great dog lover, Lauren, we go down the whole, your dog's going to be your greatest mindfulness teacher. You know, if you're into sports, okay, well, how does sports and, and mindfulness relate? If you love making stuff how you know why, why does that make you feel good if you if you love cycling for 10 hours at the weekend because it's the only time you feel peaceful let's explore why and let's find critically let's find ways of achieving the same state of peace and joy and aliveness that you do in those things when you're doing the things you've got to do anyway when you're sat in the back of a taxi going somewhere when you're taking your shower when you're eating your food when you're driving somewhere when you're when you're doing all this stuff because that's when the magic happens right because people don't have, especially the execs I work with, they have no time for this. Exactly. No time for this. I like the way that you talked about piggybacking and, and mindfulness confetti. And so I want to offer folks a way of accessing you and your courses. And it's not just for executives. You work through this across huge, huge organizations and, and change the way that they show up for work and reduce that burnout. So point us to where that is. And of course, we'll include that link um, to your courses and and all of that. 
Thank you. Yeah. So there's two where there's two, the most active place I am. I'm only on one social media place. It's very easy to find me. That's on LinkedIn. <laughs> so I love LinkedIn. It's been it's been a great place to kind of demonstrate what I do and and to meet meet a lot of clients, which has been fantastic. The other thing I have is my website, which is just stevewaremindfulness.com. My courses really they fall into a couple of categories. I'd say, Lauren. So one is, in fact, and I, I kind of changed this up a bit recently. So <clears throat> we have a guy in the UK, you've probably not heard of him. I don't think he's made it to the US. So back in the lockdown, we had a guy called, um, what's his name? Joe Wicks. He's a personal trainer. He's a, he's a famous, he's kind of celebrity fitness guy in the UK. And he had the idea, everybody's locked in their houses, it's COVID. And he thought, wouldn't it be a good idea to get people active just 15 minutes a day? So he created this thing called Wake Up With Joe. First thing in the morning, you get up in your front room. You don't need any gym equipment. You get up, you do your stretching, you do, you find something to lift a bag of flour, you do a little bit of weights, whatever. He'd do everything. He'd make it really fun. And people that didn't really want to work out, probably never worked out, joined him, had a blast. 15 minutes a day, everyone can find 15 minutes. And he was really successful with that. And last year, I thought, you know what? I just need to do the same thing, but for people's minds. So I started doing something called Mindfulness Sprints. And this is where we get together. And this is a brilliant way. It's such a it's such a great thing because it's either a great way of introducing mindfulness to a, a big organization at scale very cheaply, or it's a beautiful way of helping people to continue the momentum of their practice at various points in the year. They can join me for a two-week sprint. And a sprint is always very easy. All you've got to do is connect in. You can be anywhere in the world. You connect in. For 15 minutes, we sit. We have a little bit of discussion, and then we do a short practice. At the end of that practice, I send you an email, and I say, hey, Lauren, thanks for joining me today. A little bit of explanation as to why we did what we did, because people like that, maybe a tiny bit of science. And then I'll give you one thing to do in that day, one extra way that you can find a mini sliver of peace in your day that you may not have found it before. And we're back to it not being doing – sorry, we're back to not doing anything different about doing something differently is there a prerequisite to do that or can you just start with the sprints you can start with the sprints some companies do start with sprints. i think it's a brilliant way of of doing it because what you can do is allow people to kind of try before they buy exactly exactly yeah it's a beautiful way so of we want to make sure that we include that as well because i think that that is especially for people who are in transition it may be a great way of them biting off enough to maybe get them hooked and also yeah. get them over some of the initial um, and continuous challenges that they're facing. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a very light, it's a yeah. fairly low touch, but it's a very high impact thing. I, had some, I get some really, really nice feedback from, from people in the sprints. I mean, there was one lady... Um, a company I did it in last year, American company. And she wrote to me after and I, was, I just sent out a survey. I always send out a survey saying, hey, you know, I hope you enjoyed the sprint. Um, how can we improve this? How can we make this even better for you? Tell me what the perfect sprint would look like for you now you've been on one. And she wrote back to me and said, I totally loved it. And she said it was so helpful. She said, I lost my only sibling recently. And she said, so I'm going through a really, really tough time. And she said, this was just a little sanctuary for me to come and find a moment of peace and stillness and a bit of kind of me time. And she said, it was so good that I rang my mom in California and, and got her to connect in and listen to it as well. And so this stuff really ripples out. 
like a common misconception around mindfulness is that it's kind of a fairly selfish, self-centered thing. That's a solo activity that you lock yourself away in a quiet room and go and do right. it. The ripples of this are huge. And that was such a touching testimonial to get from her. You know, she said that her mom was kind of, had found some peace too. And I thought, like, that's just, that's the greatest feedback I'll ever get. Can you imagine helping someone? Who's, who's grieving the loss of a sudden loss, unexpected loss of someone to have even imagined that I could help them find a tiny moment of peace in their day when they wouldn't have thought they got it is that's what gets me out of bed to do this stuff. So what I want to do is wrap this up with our three signature questions. And since we're talking mindfulness, I would love to know what your recommended post-it would be if we were to practice, as you have also described, a way of bringing it in in a non-invasive or like isolating way, is there a post-it that you would recommend we put on our desktop or something nearby to just get closer to it? By a post-it, you mean like a literally a post-it note? Yes, a post-it note. What, with something on there that would just would prompt yeah, you to... like a reminder, yeah. So I actually ask people to use these. Um, oh. And do you know what I'd say? It's kind of, it sounds like a cop-out to your question. I don't think you actually need anything written on it. All you need, oh. all you need is, the, is that trigger in your head. And here's why, Lauren. Let me explain it. So I love that. So for most, <laughs> it's not a reminder, but it's a reminder. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So for most people, the hard part about this is they forget to practice. They, they, mm. they think, oh, okay, well, I'll, yeah, when I'm, when I'm drinking my next coffee, I'll smell it. I'll smell the peppermint leaves of that beautiful peppermint tea. I'll taste it. I'll feel the warmth. I'll kind of just be with it. You know, anyone, anyone that loves drinking fine wine or fine whiskey is already a very mindful person, although I don't necessarily condone mindfulness and alcohol. But um, So it's not so much actually doing this mini moment of mindfulness, remembering to do these mini moments of mindfulness. So what I say to people is one thing you can do is take a little sticker. It doesn't need to be anything. It could be a little post-it. And put it somewhere. And then when you see that poster, you go, ah, how present am I right now? So mm. don't put it on your monitor. Don't put it somewhere you're going to see it eight hours a day. Put it on your bathroom mirror when you walk in there. Ah, what's that there for? Why is there a little sticker in the bottom okay. corner of there? I'm doing this. Ah, yeah. I am so doing this. Why is it on the tip of the place where I make my tea? Where is it? Yes. Awesome. The second question is, since you are a mindfulness meditation I know there's no other word that I know of to replace that right now. Scholar, what is your favorite book or go-to? Is there something that you think, oh my gosh, this is like the thing for you yeah. that you would recommend that we read or indulge in? Yeah. So this depends on where you are in your journey, I would say. If you're a complete beginner, my go-to book would be uh, one from University of Oxford. It's called Finding Peace in a Frantic World. Mindfulness, mm. Finding Peace in a Frantic World. Very secular, very easy to read, very easy to follow, super, super good for beginners. If you've been meditating a while and you really want something something deeply wise to really get into and something that's going to really knock your socks off and something a totally timeless classic you're going to be able to read again and again and again, anything by the most incredible mindfulness teacher in the world, in my opinion, who's a guy called Eckhart Tolle. So he's written The Power of Now. He's written A New Earth. He's written Stillness Speaks. He's written Guardians of Being. Probably the power now and the new earth are the two big ones. Um, 
but I wouldn't recommend those necessarily to beginners. I remember when I was starting out, I read it and I, and I missed 99% of what he's saying. Yeah, I missed it too. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go back to recommendation one. And then this, the last question, I'm so curious about this, is what's your walk-up song? What's the song that like gets you feeling it? <laughs> Uh, I'd probably say I really like Three Little Birds. I don't know it. Yeah, you do. It's a Bob Marley one. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, don't worry about a thing. All right. That's perfect. Gonna be all right. That's kind of a, I I think I lost peace for so long in my life. I worried so hard for so long in my life that any anything any antithesis to that anything that's peace inducing anything that says hey it's, it's all right you don't need to worry you really don't need to hold on to all this stuff i really gravitate towards that so i, I love that song whenever i hear it, it kind of makes me smile because it's it feels like I can, I can exhale when i when i hear it steve where i cannot thank you enough you're you're like a a, a quiet hero to me, and I especially appreciate some of your videos, and they always make me smile. And you you make it you do you make it fun and approachable, and most importantly, I just love your why. I love why you're doing this, and I love the message that you're sending. So please Thank go you. find Steve on LinkedIn, and I am going to be taking some of your courses. So I'll be. Um, the first to say what happens because I'm not necessarily a skeptic. I just make excuses saying I'm too busy. So here you go. I'm going to, I'm going to test it out and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for joining dear listeners. And you know how this goes. If you love this episode, please write us an Apple review. Why? Because we're growing this thing and we need you. We need your love. We need your support. And we also want to continue to grow this to help more people get rid of that stinky old career advice that says it has to suck. So tune in next week and we'll bring you another wonderful guest. Until then, thanks so much. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears big time we ask this use these tools not tomorrow right now and share them by spreading the love leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half most of all thank you for you